today on um, the interesting question how or whether European assets, safe assets, can be constructed. Um, thank you all for coming. It's a great pleasure uh, to host this event today that will feature the presentation of uh, the report that was um, produced by Task Force in the ESRB um, under the leadership of Philip Lane. Now, unfortunately, as you may have seen, uh, Philip Lane uh, got stuck in Dublin because of the snow and the weather conditions, um, but uh, uh, we are very glad and happy that uh, Sam Langfield, who was the secretary uh, uh, drafting uh, this report, could, could step in. Uh, and will will make a presentation um, of of the report. Follow, following his uh, his presentation, we will have a panel debate, um, and um, I'm glad to welcome uh, Anne Leclerc, uh, who's director of treasury and capital markets at the Belgian Federal Public Services uh, Ministry, um, and Levin Holle, um, from uh, who's director general at the German Finance Ministry. Um, to sort of give their feedback and their comments on the report and on the wider issue, uh, what is a European safe asset and how to construct one. Um, so, so perhaps without much further ado, let, uh, some, um, let me turn to you uh, and your presentation. And again, let me say it's all on the record. Um, uh, now, for those that follow us uh, live stream or also in the room that don't want to ask a question physically, they can also ask a question via Twitter. Um, then please uh, uh, put the hashtag AskBrügel, which is there on, your, on the question, and I will here look at my smartphone to see uh, what kind of questions come in and try to select some questions, but we will have time also for questions, physical questions in the room here, so, so that's just sort of for, you, for your information. Um, okay, so, so without much further ado, thank you, Sam, and the floor is yours. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Guntram, uh, indeed, and it's a, a pleasure to be here at such a technically advanced uh, Bruegel uh, seminar. As you indicated, uh, Governor Lane uh, apologizes for not being able to uh, make it uh, today. There was a, a snowstorm in, in Dublin. Such is the misfortune of country-specific shocks. Uh, so, so in the absence of anything approaching uh, a common European weather insurance mechanism, I am, uh, I am the substitute. So the topic of, of this seminar is, um, could uh, European safe assets be created, and, and if so, uh, how? And it's worth pointing out, I think, that this is a distinctly uh, European uh, question. In other currency areas, the geographic remit of the currency matches one-to-one -one with the geography of treasury issuance. And as such, treasuries are typically able to take on the function of a benchmark asset that is in demand in modern financial systems. So in the euro area, we have a multi-country currency union with treaty-entrenched uh, national responsibility for fiscal uh, policy. And in addition to that, uh, in the absence of a full uh, banking uh, union, there is uh, an interaction between bank risk and uh, sovereign risk uh, at the national uh, level. And this gives rise to sovereign risk 
uh, with a distinctly uh, European uh, flavor. So the policy question is how to square this circle uh, in the euro area in a way that respects uh, the fiscal and institutional setup. So there are several options for the possible design of uh, a euro area-wide uh, safe asset. Uh, and these options, perhaps to varying extents, uh, respect the um, principle of national responsibility uh, for fiscal policy. So I'm not going to go through those options, all of which I think have interesting features. I'm going to focus on one such option, namely sovereign bond-backed securities, or SBBS, which have been the focus of the task force that Guntram uh, referred to. Now, with SBBS, the central idea is that safety, or low-riskiness, is created by contract and not by uh, fiscal uh, mutualization. And properly designed, SBBS have the potential to support financial stability, in particular by contributing to the completion of banking union and uh, capital markets uh, union. Now, the idea of SBBS has been around for some uh, time. It started as an academic idea. And as an academic idea, it's, it's very well grounded in economics. So there, is, there are theoretical models which identify the general equilibrium effects of sovereign bond-backed securities with respect to sovereign risk and also bank risk. But also because it's an academic idea, it's relatively weakly developed, at least until now, in terms of um, shedding light on the technical implementation issues associated with reforming euro area sovereign debt markets uh, in, this, in this respect. So recognizing this, in 2016, the European Systemic Risk Board set up a task force to uh, study these technical implementation issues associated with the possible creation uh, of uh, sovereign bond-backed securities, and in particular to understand whether indeed they are able to fulfill this potential, this promise of uh, enhancing uh, financial stability. So over the past 18 months, the task force has attempted to uh, fulfill uh, its mandate uh, by uh, producing a thorough uh, technical uh, study uh, of these uh, implementation issues. I'm going to attempt to give you a helicopter tour of uh, that report, which was uh, published uh, recently. But clearly, there is uh, no perfect substitute for spending the time to actually read the uh, 300 pages that uh, constitute uh, the, the, the report, plus not only that, but plus uh, several working papers uh, which provide uh, even more technical uh, detail. Uh, so the main finding, the bottom line of uh, the report is that SBBS are, in principle, uh, an attractive option for uh, safe asset design. But one precondition for us to see the materialization of uh, SBBS is for regulatory barriers 
to be uh, removed. And the only way to definitively test uh, whether there is investor demand for SBBS is indeed to remove these regulatory barriers that currently impede market development, in particular by treating the securities in accordance with their genuine measured risk properties. So in terms of basic uh, security design of SBBS, SBBS are securities with different levels of contractual uh, seniority, and they are backed by a portfolio of uh, central government bonds. And to reflect the euro area-wide nature of this uh, product, these central government bonds would be weighted by the ECB uh, capital key. That's an important point, because in the past, uh, others, uh, including, for example, uh, an S&P note published last year, had assumed that this portfolio would be weighted in accordance with uh, outstanding uh, debt. That design would clearly lead to quite different risk properties for the securities as uh, countries which are relatively over-indebted would also be overweighted in the underlying pool compared with the ECB capital key. We think also that debt weights would give rise to, to moral hazard uh, issues. So because of that, and to be clear, this portfolio is weighted by the uh, ECB uh, capital uh, key. Now on the other side of the issuer's balance sheet, uh, we have the securities uh, themselves, and these are distinguished by their relative uh, seniority. And one of the main contributions of the task force is to perform model-based analyses to assess what is quantitatively the degree of protection that senior SBBS would require in order to be perceived as low risk uh, by financial market uh, participants. So according to our model uh, analysis, uh, the answer to that question uh, is more or less 30%. 30% protection would generate senior SBBS that have properties that match the risk properties of uh, low-risk national sovereign bonds that currently exist in uh, the euro area. Now, that's a, a model-based uh, outcome, and one can only properly understand it and assess it by engaging with the material uh, that is in volume two of the report. But let me nevertheless try to give you some intuition as to why uh, protection in the region of 30% does indeed generate low riskiness of senior uh, SBBS. The first leg of that intuition is that with 30% protection, there is no individual sovereign default, no matter how severe, that is sufficient to uh, generate losses for holders of uh, senior SBBS. The second leg of the intuition is that with multi-country defaults taking place at average loss-given default uh, rates that have been observed historically in debt restructuring events, around the world. It would take all countries defaulting, that is all 19 euro area countries defaulting, in order for senior SBBS to begin to take uh, 
losses, and those losses would be uh, lower than the losses incurred by holders of individual uh, euro area uh, sovereigns. So that's some intuition uh, for how we generate low risk with a 30% uh, first loss piece. In addition uh, to these um, default simulations, uh, the task force has run a, a pricing machine to attempt to quantify the securities risk properties in terms of market data. So we have assessed uh, these the securities in terms of their yield, but also their market-based uh, expected loss rates, value at risk, expected shortfall, volatility. And across all of these measures, senior SBBS historically would have behaved similarly to low-risk uh, sovereign bonds issued by countries such as Germany, Finland, the Netherlands, uh, Austria, uh, and so on. In terms of the loss-absorbing uh, securities, clearly they are, these are riskier securities, the mid-tier uh, mezzanine uh, security would behave more or less like Spain or Italy in terms of these market-based risk properties. And the first loss junior piece would behave like uh, Portugal, at least in recent uh, financial uh, history. So besides the risk analysis, uh, the task force has also assessed uh, market microstructure uh, issues, of which there are, there are quite a few associated with the possible implementation of SPBS. So how would SPBS uh, be uh, issued? Well, crucially, the securities respect the current status quo of national responsibility for fiscal policy, because each government would still issue and it would still service their national sovereign bonds uh, as now. If bonds do not have uh, a market price, for example, because a sovereign has lost access to uh, capital markets, these bonds would not be included in the portfolio uh, underlying SBBS. The arrangers of SBBS would assemble these bonds and they would then transfer that portfolio to a third party which would then create uh, the securities, transfer them back to the arranger uh, which would then sell them on to uh, end, end investors. In principle, arrangers could be public or private uh, entities and issuers are bankruptcy remote. Uh, from uh, arrangers. So this simple issuance process is illustrated here, illustrated here, and there are essentially three basic steps illustrated by the three sets of arrows. First step is portfolio assembly by the arranger. Second step is SBBS creation by the issuer. And the third step is that SBBS are sold to end investors by uh, the arranger. Now one uh, open question is how the arranger sources uh, the bonds. One option is secondary markets. Uh, arrangers, however, by purchasing sovereign bonds in secondary markets, would need to deal with cross-country heterogeneity in bond uh, characteristics. That's something that's doable, uh, and it's done uh, in uh, other markets, but it would, however, create uh, some complexity uh, for security 
uh, issuance. This complexity could be avoided if there were to be some coordination of primary market uh, issuance uh, by debt management offices. Now, national DMOs are understandably uh, reluctant to change their uh, practices in terms of their, their characteristics and modalities of their issuance in uh, primary markets. But from a European perspective, greater coordination could facilitate greater capital markets integration. And that's perhaps true even in the absence uh, of SBBS in the sense that greater standardization of sovereign debt markets could facilitate capital markets uh, integration. And indeed, some primary dealers have uh, indicated uh, that they would favor more standardization uh, of sovereign bonds uh, across uh, the euro area. Now, what about the demand side? Well, it's important to realize that uh, SBBS issuance would be uh, demand-led. Uh, this means that the market would grow uh, gradually conditional on investor demand for all three of the uh, securities. And one can think of market, the process of market development as comparable to that of ESM bond market uh, development, where the market has grown in the order of tens of billions of euros uh, per year over the past uh, several years. And that sort of volume uh, could be matched by packaging about 3% of national sovereign debt market issuance per year into uh, SBVS, so a relatively uh, small amount in the first phase. And over time, conditional on smooth market functioning of both the SBBS market and national sovereign debt markets, this 3% number could be scaled up, again conditional on investor demand uh, for the uh, securities. So one concern that uh, has been raised uh, with respect to the concept of SBBS is that they could have an adverse effect on national sovereign debt market liquidity, essentially because some fraction of national sovereign bonds would be frozen on the balance sheets of SBBS uh, issuers, thereby reducing free float. So that's a qualitative concern. To assess the quantitative importance of this concern, the task force has looked, by way of analogy, at the Eurosystem's implementation of the public sector purchase program. Because in one sense, the PSPP is analogous to SBBS in the sense that in, under both programs, sovereign bonds are frozen on a balance sheet, in one case, the SBBS issuers, in the other case, the Eurosystem's uh, balance sheet. So what we asked ourselves and we asked the data is, do we see any adverse effect on market liquidity arising from the Eurosystem's implementation of the PSPP. And the answer is quantitative, is the European acronym for quantitative easing, standing for uh, public sector purchase program. So the answer from this 
uh, econometric analysis is that we do observe some adverse market liquidity effect following the implementation of the PSPP. But it is relatively small uh, quantitatively. So we think that this uh, market liquidity concern is, is quantitatively uh, minor. There is, however, one important difference between the PSPP and SBBS. And that is that SBBS would be a new market and the securities would have uh, liquidity of uh, their own. And one implication of that is that the costs of making markets, particularly in smaller national sovereign debt markets, for dealers could be reduced by the fact that they could use SBBS to hedge price movements in the national sovereign bonds for which they are looking to uh, make uh, markets. And that reduction in the costs of making markets could help to improve uh, national sovereign debt market liquidity, particularly in smaller member states, by virtue of the greater proclivity to, uh, to make markets by dealers. So now let's turn briefly to the possible investor base uh, for the securities. For senior SBBS, clearly banks are a natural candidate to buy these securities. And insofar as they do this, this would help to reduce their domestic sovereign risk exposure and therefore the endogenous risk that arises from uh, the bank's sovereign uh, nexus. However, it's important to note, uh, as shown in this slide, that banks actually hold only 17% of outstanding central government uh, bonds. And for supranational debt securities in particular, non-euro area, that is, rest of the world uh, investors, are um, uh, more important uh, than domestic banks in uh, purchasing uh, these securities. And a similar effect in terms of crowding in demand for European sovereign risk uh, by introducing new investors from the rest of the world uh, might be in operation in the case of uh, SBBS. So what about uh, junior SBBS, the riskier securities? Who would buy these? Well, in steady state, one might expect that one important buyer would be uh, investment funds. Uh, and that is because the ECB data uh, reveal that investment, uh, investment funds are relatively important holders of high-risk securities that have properties that are similar to those that we would expect junior SBBS to have. So of the 800 billion euros of such higher risk securities in the euro area, about 500 billion are held uh, by uh, investment funds. So that's the steady state point. But then what happens uh, in so-called risk off episodes, in financial crisis episodes to the investor base for junior SBBS? Well, clearly there would be uh, a price effect for these securities in the sense that higher risk securities typically perform worse in uh, stress uh, events. And it is desirable for the market-to-market market losses accruing from these price effects to be borne by investors which have 
uh, loss absorbency capacity, which to some extent wasn't the case uh, over the recent uh, sovereign uh, debt crisis. Then what about volume? Well, here it's important to distinguish stock and flow effects. The stock of junior SBBS would, once a financial crisis hits, already be held by uh, investors. So the question is more on the flow. Would one be able to continue issuing junior SBBS during a uh, financial uh, crisis? Well, one consideration here is that because SBBS arrangers would only buy sovereign bonds with a market clearing price, then by an arbitrage argument, there must also be a market clearing price for securities which derive their payoffs from these national sovereign bonds for which there is, by construction, uh, a market. <coughs> Finally, on, uh, on regulation. Regulation is sufficient to explain why SBBS do not yet exist in uh, the euro area, and that is because they would be treated uh, more harshly than their genuine risk properties uh, warrant. So it's therefore necessary, in order for us to see a market to develop, that uh, regulators remove uh, these uh, barriers that currently impede uh, market uh, development. In addition to that, uh, it's clear that reforming the regulatory treatment of sovereign exposures themselves would enhance demand for a product like SBBS, which are inherently diversified, and in the case of the senior SBBS, uh, low risk. However, it's also true that the implementation of such reform should be evaluated on its own mer uh, merits. The fact that it would enhance demand for SBBS is not sufficient for justifying the implementation of such reform. So uh, let me uh, conclude. Um, in the view of the task force of the ESRB, SBBS do represent one interesting and attractive option for the design of an area-wide uh, low-risk asset. Clearly, however, there are many technical issues associated with the implementation of these securities. However, it's also true that these technical issues uh, are not without uh, solutions. And one such solution is, uh, as I've explained, uh, um, a regulation that removes the barriers that currently impede the SBBS market. And indeed, the European Commission has announced that it is considering whether and how to take uh, such uh, a regulatory step. Great. Uh, thank you very much. Um, so we are now turning to our uh, two, uh, two panelists and discussants. And we start with uh, Anne Leclerc, um, uh, who I think also has a, has a PowerPoint. Um, so if you could put up the PowerPoint. Um, and thank you. So you have to point in that direction if you want to change the slides. But okay. yeah, so here you go. Okay, well, thank you very much uh, for your attendance. Um, so my name is Anne Leclerc. I'm, the, uh, the, I'm not speaking here as a Belgian representative. I'm speaking here more as the chair of the ESDM and as the European Sovereign Debt Managers Group within the Intercept Committee of the EFC. And I think it's important to mention that too, because uh, 
we have taken some standpoints with regard to this uh, product, and there was a, a unanimous point of view between the different sovereign debt markets, which is, I think, the first time that I've seen this uh, in my life. Uh, so I think it's important to mention that, and it's also good to, uh, to mention because it's something which is really related to our job. It's directly at the heart of our job. Uh, and um, I've been part of the high-level task force, and I can assure you that we spent uh, a lot of days, not only hours, but a lot of days in reading the different, uh, the different points, but also we spent it not only myself, but also with uh, my different colleagues uh, at the uh, debt management point of view. Uh, now, let me, um, I've taken a point of view which is um, more technical, because we consider this as a technical matter. Um, I'm, not I'm not going to talk about the correlations uh, which have been putting forward. It's not within our competences, so I leave that to uh, uh, the people who are much more competent to look at that. Um, I've taken also, in, with regard to some points, also a strategic point of view, again, when it is within our competence. And now, let me take a step back uh, before really talking about ESBBS and talk about what the objectives are of our debt management. So I think once and foremost, the objective of debt management is in fact really minimizing the cost of debt. And um, within, of course, the boundaries of uh, uh, risk management, that's uh, important, but also within the boundaries of the monetary and budgetary constraints. So what is our, what is our job really is reducing the cost for the taxpayer. That's exactly what we have to do. We also try to achieve an appropriate level of transparency in terms of market presence. So it's important for us to, to build a curve because our bonds are not only uh, bonds which are financing the federal state, but they're also benchmarked in the real economy. So it's important that the pricing of our bonds is a correct pricing. Uh, so we also need to be consistent in the market, so we have to be there on a regular basis, we have to be transparent, and we have to make sure that we're predictable in the way of our issuance of bonds. <laughs> we also want to achieve a level, a, an appropriate level of transparency with regard to the pricing of our bonds, so it's very important to make sure that the pricing conditions are well clear, and that there is, at any moment in time, a price for our bonds. <clears throat> that is one of the major characteristics of a sovereign debt, is that there is a price at any moment in time, so which means that our bonds can almost be considered as near cash. And that's also the reason why we can sell our bonds, notwithstanding the fact that the yield of our bonds is lower than, for example, a corporate bond. A third point which is important also is that we have to create a level playing field towards our investors. So we cannot treat one investor better than another one. So there has to be a level playing field. There has to be an excess or same, the same kind of excess for all investors at any moment in time. So which means that in practice, in order to achieve this different uh, objective, sovereigns issue simple bonds, standardized bonds, and also bonds which are liquid. And in order to have a liquid bonds, you need to have size. You need be, to be predictable in the way you issue bonds, and also you need to be very transparent. And you have to make sure that there is a market making at any moment in time. As I said, in order to make sure that there is price transparency. Now, let me maybe look at the next slide, and it's a slide which uh, has been showed also by, um, uh, by, okay. um, by Sam, but I'd like to, to put it maybe in another perspective. So you look at sovereign debt markets, they, in Europe they are 9 trillion, so which is a, a large amount. Uh, the investors outside Europe are approximately 26%, and the banks, uh, which are our investor base represents approximately 70% or one-sixth of the total size. 
It's important to mention that, so which means that if you start with an SBBS product, it's not only going to be bought by banks, but also by other investors. So if you want to break the nexus between the banks and the sovereigns, the size which you have to, uh, to issue is going to be tremendously high because the product might be attractive not only to banks, but also to other ones if it becomes a successful product. So we have to take that into account too. I just want to repeat a couple of the elements of the uh, which has been put forward by uh, by Sam because I think it's important in order to develop my uh, my points later on. What is the strategic objective of the uh, SBBS? It is increasing the financial stability of the banking sector by reducing the nexus between the banks and the sovereigns. The second point is, as has been pointed out by Sam, it needs to be, it will be, that's the way it has been constructed now, it will be a demand-led product. An element which is important too is, of course, there is no mutualization of risk for the SBBS issuer or the member states. That has been put forward very clearly. And it should not imply an increase in the issuance cost of the member states. That's another important point. So let me maybe develop a couple of other points related to uh, these uh, points which have been put forward in uh, regarding to SBBS. Okay. So looking at the redu reduction of the banks of a nexus, huh? that's the absolute priority which has been put forward. Then the question can be asked, is the SBBS the right instrument? Now this instrument is a synthetic instrument. It's a very complex instrument which is backed by highly correlated cover pool. And how will the bonds behave in an adverse environment? Of course, there have been some studies, there have been done some studies with regard to the correlations of different bonds. But as you know, the future or the past is never a good predictor of the future. That has lessons, we have learned the lessons when looking at the crisis. So. Then the question can be asked, is this, does this mean a risk creation or is this a risk reduction? Second point which can be forward is the three tranches are meant to be issued and sold simultaneously. So the question, we can ask the question, is there an investor base for the three tranches at the same time? It might be very well in a phase of risk on that there is an investor base for one of the tranches in a phase, in a phase of risk off that there is no investor base for another tranche. Uh, also, um, if you have to depend on the simultaneously being of investors at, uh, for the three tranches, there is no predictability on difference pattern. You can ask whether there's going to be liquidity. You can ask whether there's going to be transparency on the way you issue the bonds. Then there's also a question which could be asked with regard to the rating of the senior tranche. I remember when we were in Paris and we had the conference in Paris that there were some questions with regard to the, uh, um, the AAA possibility rating of uh, the senior tranche. The, uh, it has been put forward that the SBBS will be a demand-led product and then well, the question is, what is the demand for a synthetic product, and can this synthetic product fully fulfill the objective? Now, if the size of this product is small, because the demand is not there, then it is missing the strategic goal, which is the reduction of nexus between the banks and between the sovereigns. 
Uh, as I said, the strategic objective requires the issuance of a huge size of SPBS huh? because the size of, given the size of the bank investor base, as I showed, it is one and a half trillion. And also, given the size of the bank investor base, the relative size of the bank investor base in the whole investor base, it's only 17%. And also, given the fact that in the SBBS, only 70% of the SBBS is a senior charge. So we have, if you add up all those different elements, the size which you will have to issue as an SBBS will be a huge size in order to reach the objective. So as I said, um, a huge size is then required not only to reach the objective, but also to have a liquid and attractive product with a full price transparency and a product which is becoming like a near cash instrument. Now, if the size would be huge, if the demand is big and if the size would be huge, then the question could be asked, how would the, this affect the liquidity of the underlying? And how will this affect the pricing of the underlying? And hence also the cost for the taxpayer. Liquid bonds, which are always there, where there is always a price, if the liquidity disappears, there will not be a price at any moment in time, which means that when we, as a sovereign, issue bonds, cannot rely on the bonds which is in the secondary market because that, that, that price is not reliable anymore. So that's an important point to mention too. Um, um, now, going to the next point is the product setup. So we have been, uh, the product will be covered by a cover pool and the construction of the cover pool will be in different manners. First of all, it can be constructed by a public entity or it can be constructed by a private entity. But the way it has to be constructed is always the same. So there will be an acquisition of the sovereign bonds cover pool and a structuring of the products and a simultaneous selling of the various tranches of the bonds. And this requires a cost. This will imply a certain cost. The cost will mean a mutualization of risk in case of a public structure, because somebody has to pay it in any case. In case of a private issuer, then the cost will have to be absorbed by the product itself, which means that it will be impacting the attractiveness of the SBBS. And then the question can be asked, will somebody buy that? Will there, is there anybody who believes that the product is that valuable, that the price of the product will be that high and yield will be that low in comparison with, for example, a German Bund or a French OIT uh, or, for instance, even a Belgian OLO. I think that's an important point also to be mentioned here. Now, when we're talking about the cost of the SBVS, so what are the costs of the SBVS? I've been talking about the costs. So there is a cost which is relating to the funding or the warehousing of the bonds and the market risk management of the cover pool. And there is a cost related to the structuring of the SBVS and the selling of the SBVS in the market. So how can we construct a cover pool? There is a possibility to construct a cover pool through the primary market um, and where the structure would be participating in the primary market as any other investor. Because as you know, as a sovereign, 
we need to have a level playing field and we need to treat the investors at the same manner. Now, there was been, uh, Sam has been mentioning that the uh, DMOs do not want to coordinate the primary market issuance, uh, the, the issuance in the primary market. Well, that's not true. We do coordinate. But the way we coordinate is just making sure that we are not there at any, that we are not there simultaneously, all of them at the same time. Because if we would be there, everybody at the same time, the amount of duration which we would put into the market would be too high to absorb the, to, to be absorbed by the market. And you know, it's a question of supply and demand. If the supply is too high, the demand would not be corresponding to supply, which means that the cost for us as an issuer would be too high. And immediately, if the cost for the issuer is too high, the cost for the taxpayer is too high. So it's not a question of not wanting to coordinate. It's our coordination is, has another goal than the coordination which is mentioned here by Sam. We could also be able to, it also would be a possibility to construct the, the cover pool uh, through a buying in the secondary markets. What is important here is that the buying is going to be gradual, uh, like it's done by the PSPP or the quantitative easing. Our national banks and the DCB is buying the bonds in a gradual manner in the market. So a little bit here, a little bit high, five million here, 10 million there. And by doing that, their way, the effect of their buying on our national debt markets and on the price of our national debt markets is not that enormous, and especially on the liquidity of our national debt markets. Now, if the SBBS structure would do that, then he would need to have the possibility to warehouse the bonds until the moment that he has sufficient bonds really to structure the bonds, buy, make the SBBS, and sell again to the market. But as you know, warehousing means risk, means a cost. And so I would like maybe to stop here and conclude. So I would call this a challenging product. And first of all, it's, uh, it has to be mentioned indeed that it can only fly if some regulations with regard to securitization are changed. Huh? But even then, uh, we as a sovereign would like to express our concerns with regard to the complexity of the products. I think we should be aware of the costs related to the product creation and not shut our eyes for this. I think this is an important point. And we should also be aware of the effect on liquidity and pricing of the real sovereign debt financing product. I'd like to stop here. Okay, thank you very much. Um, let me now turn to Levin, Levin Holle for um, the third intervention, and then we have a debate here, and, Levin, uh, and Sam can also react to some points. So, Levin, please. Thank you, Guntram. <coughs> Good afternoon to all of you. It's a pleasure to be here. Let me just disclose that I'm responsible not only for financial regulation, but also for the German debt management in the uh, German ministry. So I try to combine both perspectives, the regulatory one and the uh, practical issues of debt management on which Anne has spoken so well. Uh, in our view, the uh, academic idea, uh, which you mentioned in the beginning of SBBS, from a theoretical perspective, at least when initially thinking about it, does sound attractive to some degree. But I fully share what uh, Anne just says, that there are huge practical problems in implementing this, which is why I'm personally highly skeptical of this idea and would be extremely cautious about pursuing this further. Let me outline this. Uh, my first point would be uh, I do not think that uh, 
creating this product um, would lead to more stable financial markets over the full cycle. Um, why is this so? Firstly, the probability of default of investing in the product is higher in the case of SBBS than if you were to invest in, in individual national bonds. The second point is the bonds we are talking about, which are would be in the pool, are highly correlated. We've seen that over the last years, that Eurozone bonds move highly correlated. And there's very little space for diversification. Currently, we would have 18 bonds in the portfolio. Estonia currently does not issue debt. Um, and uh, we would have very large branches in there, too. Um, for these reasons, um, and there were a number of meetings, not only with debt managers, but also with market participants, as far as we know, in the process of the task force. There was one meeting in Paris. Uh, one rating agency, S&P, has uh, issued uh, a very preliminary thinking on the product, but has made it quite clear that in terms of rating, because of the high correlation of the underlying and the very low diversification, the rating approach they would very likely take uh, is not the normal securitization rating approach where you have a real triple A tranche at the top, but would be the weakest link approach, meaning that also for the senior tranche of the SBBS, the rating would be that of the weakest member state falling into that tranche, and that is certainly well below triple A. So I think it's very important to understand that at least the rating agency which has looked at this and had issued an opinion, a first, a very first preliminary opinion, saying, you cannot assume that the senior tranche will be in the AAA, AA range. It will be significantly lower because this is not the normal securitization. It is highly correlated underlying and there's very little diversification. So this is why I doubt that sort of in, in uh, normal summertime environment, uh, we would really be able to create a senior tranche with a safe asset, very high quality rating, first point. Second point, and uh, uh, not only the weather outside does behave differently over the cycle, but we can also have snowstorm conditions in financial markets. Uh, and in these, uh, I'm, I would be, and I am very seriously worried that the existence of SPBS would excavate the crisis, made it more problematic. Why is this so? Um, in case one sovereign would actually default, the whole junior tranche would be affected. It's very hard for me to imagine that the next day you can issue the next junior tranche. If you have a default on a product, the next day to go out and say, well, there's a new product here. We have, a, we have slightly adapted the price, but you can buy it again. To me, from all market experience, uh, we have had appears to be highly unlikely. If you cannot issue the junior tranche, you cannot issue the senior tranche either. So the market for the whole product is under risk of collapse if you will really be in a crisis. And I think that is exactly fundamentally the opposite of what you would like to create if you want to create safe assets. Um, uh, the next point I would like to make is uh, the consequences for debt markets, and I think uh, Anne has explained that very well. It is indeed very rare that the debt managers in this committee agree unanimously on an opinion, as you've said. On this one, all 19 unanimously indeed agreed on a very pessimistic and skeptical perspective on the product for the reasons 
and mentioned, let me just highlight a few of them. Uh, I think the first issue is what she said, liquidity and transparency of the markets. Um, if we were to have a large SBBS issuance, that would make the existing markets for national bonds significantly smaller. So we very well may have an impact on these markets on the pricing of national bonds, uh, and that not only could move up costs for individual national issuers, but it could also, and that to me that's perhaps even more importantly from a euro area perspective, distort the pricing mechanism. And how are you to price the SBBS tranches if pricing for the underlying is distorted because there's such a massive buyer? So I think that's a very important consideration and it goes beyond, for me at least, the issue of the SBBS product and does it function well. It goes to the heart of the functioning of the EMU, then at least from our perspective, the function of the EMU is, is that we have separate national fiscal responsibilities uh, and whether public finances are sustainable or not and, what, and whether a national bond is an attractive product uh, and is sold well on markets should determine on a full market mechanism. And we would think the market mechanism uh, for national bond markets is under a significant risk of being distorted if you were to introduce this. Um, I think you've explained the issues of who will carry the cost of the securitization. Uh, I, I'm not in a position to say what is the additional cost, but to me, for me it's clear there will be additional cost, and someone has to bear that. Uh, from a finance ministry and an issues perspective, we would not want to see um, uh, uh, the treasuries uh, and the taxpayers bear those costs, so it would have to go to market. So it's not clear for me how that is supposed to work. Um, you've spoken about the problems of coordinating national issuance. Uh, I fully share that view. Um, and that is why I think already in the report there is the question of should we have a public arranger? And uh, in different phases, we also had the discussion, should there be not only a public arranger, but should we have some public market-making function? That was also in the discussion. And I think, to me, this very clearly shows uh, that even if, in theory, there's no explicit debt neutralization in this involved, as soon at the latest where you have a public arranger, public warehousing, um, public market management involved, it's very clear that there's implicit mutualization of risks. I think one has to be upfront about this. That's an extremely sensitive political topic. Uh, the German position on this is very well known, uh, and we would certainly not like to end up uh, in a situation where something which theoretically sounds private and without debt mutualization uh, is something like introducing eurobonds through the back door. And there is also a massive reputation risk involved for issuance. I mean, if, you, if there were a public structure in which either Belgian or German or other uh, sovereign instruments would be involved, uh, of course there's a reputation issue, even if, there no, even if there were no legal obligation to assume certain risks, any member of that structure would feel a massive reputation issue of helping out 
if things do go wrong. So I think one has to be very clear and upfront uh, about this. Um, last point is about this enabling framework, uh, uh, which is also an issue in the report. Uh, we are very skeptical about that as well. Um, my colleagues tell me I've not checked this myself, so I might be wrong, but we've got experts in the room that the way the SBBS are proposed, at least currently, they would not qualify as STS securitizations. They would not qualify as simple, transparent, standardized securitizations, which is the high-quality label the European Union just introduced. I think that should, if that's true, should give pause for thought. Um, so they will have to be treated as securitizations in the markets. They're not the same as the underlying simple, transparent, and liquid national bond. And I think um, you explained very well what was the original purpose of the exercise. The original purpose of the exercise was how do we address the sovereign bank nexus in banking union? We've spoken a lot about uh, reducing risks coming from banks to sovereigns, and this is about the other part. But that is only a small part. It's less than 20% of the sovereign bond market. So I would clearly advocate, also on what you've said, that we should focus on solving the issue for the banking sector. Um, so we should not go the way of creating this huge structure, which a lot of risks, significant costs, changing fundamentally the way sovereign bonds are issued and marketed in Europe. But we should focus on the underlying uh, problem, which is the high concentration of domestic bonds on certain banks' balance sheets. And there are other ways to do that in changing financial regulation. There's been also a proposal. Uh, he's not asked me to advertise this, but I may say so, that your colleague Nicolas Veron has made a proposal uh, on how to address the issue of sovereign concentration on bond banks. I think let's focus on that problem. That's cheaper. That's more effective. And that addresses the underlying root cause. My answer to the problem addressing the sovereign bank nexus is address the root cause, which is the high concentration on bank balance sheets. And the other issue, of course, the other root cause is are fiscal policies sound in all member states and is the public debt situation uh, uh, sufficiently sustainable? But let's address these issues and let's not venture into financial engineering. We do not always concur with what Volkan Munchau writes in the Financial Times, but on this stage, I'm happy to say that we fully share his view. He wrote an article a couple of weeks ago. Some of you might have seen that. Uh, and I think he, he also came to the conclusion, let's rather address the real issues, but let's not venture into financial engineering, to which in the end has the severe risk of creating the illusion of having created safe assets and stability but has not addressed the underlying issues. Thank you. Thank you very much. So uh, the German finance ministry concurring with Wolfgang Münchau um, <laughs> and unanimity in the debt management agencies. Uh, so that's a tough uh, discussion, uh, discussion uh, for you. Perhaps let me add one little question, and then I'll, I'll give you time to, to respond, which is I was sort of a little bit surprised by, you know, what is the real purpose of the whole thing? I mean, mm -hmm. when, I read the, when I read the original, so I didn't read the 330 pages, but I did read <laughs> the American Economic Review paper on ESPYs, mm -hmm. and, you know, there the main motivation was uh, we want to address multiplicity in sovereign bond markets. Um, and um, 
you know, now your proposal basically says, well, if a bond doesn't have market access, then we don't do anything about it, right? We, we leave it out of the, of the basket, um, which is sort of, I mean, okay, so what happens if, what happens if, a, if a country loses market access? I mean, then this is, this is not useful for that. So, so I'm not sure I fully understand sort of what's now the motivation of, I mean, what is the real intent of, the, of this SBBS proposal uh, as it stands now? Uh, it seems to be different to what the original SB proposal was, which was, so let's address this issue of multiplicity in sovereign bond markets. So you have, a, say you have 10 minutes, and then I already see we have a, a few questions on Twitter, and then I want to give also uh, the audience uh, some chances to ask questions, but perhaps you want to first react to us, yeah? yeah? Maximum 10 minutes, sure. try to be short. Yeah, please uh, please interrupt me yeah. if, I, if I overrun. And, and thanks to you, Guntram, and, and for the yeah. two discussants for um, very interesting and insightful um, comments. Clearly, there are lots of technical uh, issues uh, here. Uh, there are lots of technical issues associated with any ambitious endeavor. There were technical issues associated with the creation of the European Union. There were technical issues associated with the creation of uh, the common currency. The policy question is how do we weight quantitatively those technical issues against the longer run benefits that come from deeper uh, integration, including financial integration, that is done in a sound way that properly uh, aligns uh, incentives. So what's really important is the quantitative importance uh, of these uh, technical concerns. Uh, and I want to make that point in three specific ways. First, on risk properties. Second, on liquidity. And third, on cost of SBBS uh, creation. Uh, so first on, on uh, risk properties. Uh, rightly, it was pointed out that the portfolio underlying SBBS is, is fairly granular. It comprises 18 or 19 uh, sovereign, uh, I I sovereign bonds issued from uh, different uh, countries. So intuitively, I agree, it does seem that diversification benefits are limited. But intuition only takes you so far. To fully understand the risk properties of the securities, one needs to model it. And that's what we've attempted to do in the task force report from a variety of modeling approaches um, implemented by different institutions that are members of the ESRB, including the Austrian National Bank, including the Bundesbank, including the Central Bank of Ireland, including the National Bank of Belgium. And this modeling work does suggest that 30% protection for senior SBBS delivers uh, risk properties that are similar to low-risk Euro-area sovereign bonds. Now, that is a, um, a claim that one can falsify. But in order to rigorously falsify it, intuition is not enough. One needs to model the securities, risk properties in a different way if one thinks the models that we have used uh, are wrong. I'd apply that thinking also to the uh, S&P note uh, that you referred to and that was published uh, last year. First thing to say on the S&P note is that there was an incorrect assumption on the weighting on the asset side 
of this structure. They assume debt weights. We have ECB capital key weights. That implies very different risk properties. Second point is that the S&P note assumes a zero recovery rate conditional on a sovereign debt restructuring event. In 200 sovereign debt restructuring events across the world over the past 40 years, there has not been one case of a zero uh, recovery rate. So that's a very strong assumption that is not supported uh, by, uh, by history. Uh, and S&P's approach is idiosyncratic across rating agencies. S&P, in rating sovereigns, uh, approaches uh, risk assessment from the point of view of probability of default, and thereby they assume uh, zero recovery. Other rating agencies take an expected loss approach. They take into, a, into account expected uh, recovery rates. And that has very profound implications for the resulting risk assessment for SBBS, given the diversification and given the tranching uh, embedded uh, in, uh, in the structure. It's interesting to note that because of this idiosyncratic uh, approach of S&P, the ESM has not solicited a rating from S&P. And S&P is the only rating agency which does not rate the EU uh, AAA. Uh, so there is some idiosyncrasy there we should be careful about uh, generalizing from uh, one uh, rating agency. Second point on uh, liquidity. Um, Anne drew a, a kind of binary distinction between a small SBBS market, which uh, I agree would be inadequate to uh, fully uh, solve uh, the bank sovereign nexus, which, to answer your question, Guntram, lies at the heart of the motivation for the proposal. Uh, and yet, a huge SBBS market would, on the other hand, impair sovereign debt market liquidity. <coughs> There is, I think, an intermediate step, which is, let us call it, a moderately large uh, SBBS market that would be sufficient, at least to some extent, to mitigate the adverse consequences of the bank sovereign nexus, but not so large as to impair national sovereign debt market liquidity. To see that, let me give you some uh, numbers. Uh, PSPP holdings uh, by the euro system are now more or less two trillion uh, euros. We have analyzed the quantitative importance of uh, the implementation of the PSPP in terms of its adverse liquidity effect. It seems that a program of in the order of two trillion euros has not generated substantial adverse market liquidity effects. At the same time, there is clearly a difference between yield and liquidity. At the same time, um, banks hold about 1.7 trillion euros of national sovereign debt. So any meaningful fraction of that, which is reinvested into senior SBBS, would have meaningful implications uh, for the mitigation of uh, the bank sovereign nexus. So we're in a situation where it seems like we can have a 2 trillion euro SBBS market without having substantial adverse effects on liquidity. And uh, the, the figure that would lead to uh, a mitigation of the bank sovereign nexus is less than uh, 2 trillion uh, euros. So that, I think, quantitatively highlights that there is an important 
middle ground between small uh, and huge. Uh, third point on cost. What is the, the cost of structuring? It, it's an important uh, empirical uh, question. We have crunched some numbers there. Uh, it seems to us that the quantities uh, are small, but I agree that's a matter that is open for debate. But again, it's a quantitative uh, debate. The problem is not that cost exists per se. It's what is the size uh, of those costs that is important. And that depends, among other things, as has been mentioned, on the degree of DMO coordination in terms of harmonizing the timing of their issuance and the characteristics uh, thereof. But let me make this point. Insofar as there is any cost, whatever the size, that is totally different from sovereign risk uh, mutualization. Uh, Europe, rightly so, already bears common costs to fund common public goods. The Erasmus program is costly, but it's funded precisely because it's seen as a public good for Europe as a whole. Nobody claims the Erasmus program is a mutualization of sovereign risk, which would require joint and several liability for sovereign debt obligations, which is certainly not at the heart of this proposal. Final point on, uh, on regulation. It is indeed true uh, that SBBS would not qualify as uh, simple and transparent securitizations. That is not because they are not simple and transparent. In fact, they are more simple and transparent than any securitization that one could conceive of. The fact that SBBS do not qualify as STS right now is the regulator did not imagine that securitization of sovereign bonds would conceivably take place because the securities uh, don't yet uh, exist uh, in financial markets. So it would have taken a certain degree of imagination for the regulator to envisage this before the task force had undertaken uh, this, uh, this work. Uh, final point, you referenced uh, sovereign concentration risk charges as one possible substitute policy initiative uh, with respect to SBBS. I'd point out there that concentration risk-based capital charges would induce diversification. Mm -hmm. They would not induce de-risking. And in fact, based on our quantification of uh, the sovereign risk exposures borne uh, by banks, uh, greater diversification would lead most banks to increase, uh, not decrease, uh, their sovereign risk uh, exposure. So while I think concentration risk-based capital charges uh, have some merit, there is, I think, a possible unintended consequence to be guarded against, namely the possible increase in contagion risks arising from many banks increasing their sovereign risk exposure. Okay, so, so let me open for questions and I start uh, saying one or two questions quickly from the Twitter feed and you please already put up your hands so that I can, uh, and we collect, yeah, please. Um, and uh, questions can be addressed, of course, to all panelists. So Daniela Gabor um, is asking me on, on Twitter that uh, uh, whether we would still need a single safe asset if the sovereign bond nexus was resolved. Uh, what should it be if not SBBB, SBBSEs? Um, so that's, that's one question. 
Um, Benjamin Hagelock asked me, um, why not have uh, the same restrictions for sovereign bonds as well as for all other bonds and let the market do the rest? If there is a market, all investment banks can create SBBS. So that's two questions. P uh, please take note of them. But uh, I think Francesco Pavadia, you have a question? Yeah. Um, <coughs> thank you very much. Francesco Pavadia from uh, Prime Collateralized Securities. <coughs> and, uh, I'm probably, uh, together with Ian, who right now is not uh, here, the most favorable person in the room to securitization. I mean, uh, we have been trying for years uh, to revitalize uh, the asset-backed securities market, so fully, uh, fully in favor. Um, I also very much uh, share the motivation uh, of uh, this European safe asset is indeed a problem for the euro area, and if we can find a solution, that's a fact. And I'm impressed by the work you've done, uh, in the thorough work that you have done. Still, before thinking that SBBS is a solution to the European safe asset, um, I would need to be convinced about the three issues that have been discussed here. The first one about liquidity. Uh, even if there is in it something intermediate between small and huge, how do you move from small to intermediate? someone has to pay for that. Mm -hmm. The liquidity of this asset initially will be necessarily smaller than the liquidity of the underlying. And smaller liquidity means either that someone puts up and tops up uh, the, uh, the yield, or that investors accept uh, less, uh, uh, less interest. <coughs> On diversification, I mean, 18 uh, underlying assets, no, sorry, it's four, six, not 18. Because, I mean, Malta, uh, Slovenia, don't add to uh, diversification. I mean, you probably have to stop at Belgium uh, in terms of quantitative impact on uh, diversification, given that you use uh, the ECB, uh, that you use uh, the ECB uh, uh, rates. And on the distribution of risk, which is, of course, uh, the other big advantage of securitization, <coughs> I think, notwithstanding what we said, you have a big question mark on who is going to buy, the, in particular, the junior tranche. Mm. And you rightly say in the report that the junior tranche is a key uh, to, uh, if there is no demand for junior tranche, there are no uh, uh, SPVs. And then there is uh, this question of the additional cost because of warehousing, because of administrative cost. Who puts up that difference? A few basis points. People kill themselves uh, and others for few basis points. <laughs> so it's uh, between a small and insignificant, uh, there is a big difference. So this may be small, uh, but not insignificant. So at the end, my question is, are we risking to create an asset that has limited uh, diversification <coughs> a benefit, uh, is, uh, uh, has lower liquidity and costs more? Okay, so I have a further question on, on Twitter uh, for Anne. Um, smaller countries would profit from lower rates on the debt that goes into SPBS, but due to the lower liquidity of the remaining sovereign debt, pay more on their own sovereigns. Do hmm. their benefits outweigh these drawbacks? Is a question by uh, Dan Balagir. And do I have other questions in the audience? Uh, um, uh, so, so last, please. Lars <coughs> Ogo, formerly with the Commission. I'm certainly not an expert on these matters, 
But the fact that the rating agencies has given a very low mark, isn't that simply a reflection of the fact that they were, they burnt their fingers with the CDOs, the collateral debt obligations, and gave them a zero risk, and now they've gone into the other ditch. And, and since this is an unknown, they're, they're not giving them a very positive message. So I think that's one element, the uncertainty. And secondly, what would be the problem of creating the regulatory basis for creating such assets and then let the market decide whether they want to take it up or not? Gabriele? One question. I think then I have to finish. The yeah, Gabriel Jinshot from the Commission. I just wanted to ask a question concerning the, the point that it is a, a demand led product. And there's a question for the three panelists because I would like to, to see whether there are different views on that. And the, uh, the point is that basically, in order to be able to release this product, you need to have a simultaneous demand for the three mm -hmm. markets. Now, the answer, if there is stress in the market, is, uh, uh, you know, I think from what you were saying also before, is that you might delay and just uh, uh, just come out with the, with, the, with the issuance whenever the market is sufficient, you have demand for all the three uh, bonds. The question, though, I have is, if you want to create a safe asset for the senior part, I mean, what is the importance of the scheduling? of the issuance for the market. So saying, mm -hmm. do we need to have a regular issuance mm -hmm. profile? How much it is really relevant for, the, for, 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 for this aspect? Thank you. OK, I, I think I have to close uh, the, the questions here and give uh, each panelist a few minutes uh, to, to reply. Um, uh, per, perhaps some, I think we, we start with you. You're the most many questions were probably for you. Um, and, uh, and then we go to our other two panelists. And please. Uh, thank you, and thank you for the, uh, the questions. I'll, I'll answer uh, three of them. Um, firstly, on, on the transition. Um, clearly, that is a challenge. Um, the most challenging part is always to start. Um, but there is, I think, some comfort to be taken from the success that has been the development of a market for ESM bonds. That market started from zero, and it went from zero to a positive, but still quite small number. And today, ESM bonds trade at a handful of basis points over uh, German bonds, despite having a market turnover and size that is way below uh, that of uh, German bonds. So this is a challenge, but again, uh, I think not uh, a showstopper, as recent history has uh, demonstrated. Uh, second point on, on the rating agencies, uh, because this uh, keeps coming up. Um, first point, and this is very important, we should talk about rating agency singular, uh, and not rating agencies. Uh, we only have uh, public information uh, from uh, SMP uh, in the public domain concerning their approach to assessing uh, SBBS. That approach is, I think, very much driven by their approach to rating sovereigns, actually, and not securitizations. The note was written by the head of sovereign ratings uh, for uh, SMP. And, and because of that, of, of SMP's approach to rating sovereigns, which is informed by probability of default, assuming that recovery rates 
uh, are zero, they get to this weakest link uh, outcome that has been uh, referred to. But that is not the only way to assess the risk properties uh, of SBBS, and indeed investors care more about expected loss uh, than uh, probability uh, of default. Third point, I'm very much in favor of the phrase, uh, let the market uh, decide. That is very much in keeping with the spirit of uh, a demand-led approach to this whole construct, notwithstanding its public good uh, justification. But in order to let the market decide, we need to remove the regulatory barriers that currently prevent the market uh, from uh, deciding. So we have right now a regulatory failure. It's, it's an honest regulatory failure because no one until now has envisaged uh, such a product. But it's a failure nevertheless, and that's why regulatory action is needed in order for us to allow the market to decide. Guntram. Great. Um, Anne. Okay, let, let, let me maybe come back on, on some of the elements which have been put forward, like liquidity and the fact that there has been a study on the impact of the QE on the liquidity of the bonds. I think there are a couple of points which are different here. I mean, as, uh, uh, my, uh, as you pointed out, indeed, QE is bonds for cash, so which means there is a lot of cash in the market. It's going to have an effect on the, on the, the pricing and it's going to have effect also on, on the availability of the, of the bonds there, but not to a great extent because people want those bonds anyway. Second point is, given the fact that there is QE, the trend is quite clear. So the, you have seen it in the volatility of the markets. It's, it's changed since a, couple of, uh, since a couple of months. But the volatility of the market since QE is quite low. Mm. So there is a trend in the market to know how the market is moving, what the market is going to do. So liquidity has been also, has been also um, driven by elements like that. So you cannot make a real comparison between QE and between the buying for, for example, setting up an SBBS. So that's one point which and, has been put. On that point, because one one question here on Twitter is is exactly about this point. It, 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 uh, Daniela Gabor says that is that you argue that SBBS liquidity impact on sovereign bonds uh, will be similar to QE, but QE did create shortages of bonds resolved once the Bundesbank made bonds lending easier. Um, uh, have you That's seen that in the Belgian or in other sovereign bond markets? That's that one of the elements which also difference between uh, the SBBS and between the, uh, the QE is that the central banks are lending the bonds whenever there is a possibility, whenever there is a shortage yeah. of the bonds. This is in, within the construction of the SBBS, it's not going to be the case. So which means the structures are going to buy the bonds of the sovereigns and keep it into their books. So which means that the availability of the bonds will even be, will be, even be lower because there is no possibility for the investors to go to the structure and, and do a repo on the bonds or make sure that they can lend the bonds from the structure themselves. So that by itself will decrease the liquidity of the market. So there are a couple of comparisons which are not totally right when comparing uh, the QE uh, impact and when comparing the possible impact of the construction of the SBBS. Mm -hmm. There is also one element that I would like to, to make, uh, um, I would like to, to point out is uh, you were comparing the um, construction of the SBBS like the uh, construction of the ESM. This is different. I mean, the ESM is a 
like what is behind the museum is like an SPV. So there is a hall, there is, there is, a, it's paid in capital. So this is a totally different kind of, of, uh, of uh, bond book. And on top of that, this is a very standardized, simple bond, like exactly the same nature as the bond of a sovereign. Um, we know how much paid in capital there is. Uh, we know how they're structured. We know how they're coming to the market. They're very transparent. They have a very regular way of, of, uh, of uh, issuing their bonds. They have constructed a curve. So it is, from that point of view, also not comparable, uh, especially when you look at the way uh, the, um, the SBBS is going to be constructed, especially when you, when you think it's going to be demand-led, so which means that there are a couple of elements which have to be taken into account. First of all, as we said, you need to have a simultaneous uh, demand for all the products at the same time, which is not necessarily true. And then there needs to be a structure who really wants to structure the bond at a certain moment in time. So which means that the transparency, predictability, which is in the SM bond, is not existing at all. So there is, uh, a, again, I would, the comparison is not, is not, uh, is not really correct. Uh, yes, let me make a, a few comments. I think you can take different perspectives on costs. I would, coming from a finance ministry, I would like to see the real costs and see them accounted for, not just saying it's a historic project and we will do it somehow. Um, but I think we have to be really careful of what we talk about. I fully share what you said about the analogy to the ESM. The ESM is a, it's a normal bond. It has paid in capital. It has at least partial joint and mutual liability on it, so it's very different to what we talk about here. That would be my first point. My second point is um, I would not be concerned if there's only one rating agency saying, well, this may be a bit problematic. The feedback we've got from basically all conversations is that the vast majority of market practitioners uh, are skeptical about this and say it will not work as modeled. Now, I'm not saying that models are bad and we continue to have models in banking regulation and so forth, but I think it does make sense, at least after the last financial crisis, uh, to say very clearly models cannot explain everything in the real world. Yes, we, we should do modeling, but we also need to take into account that the real world does not always behave like models suggest. And this is why I think so many market participants have voiced deep skepticism. And I think if we look at the product uh, which is to be created, there is some reason in that, and I would, um, I'm not sure whether I precisely understood you, but in, at least to my knowledge, and when speaking to our debt management agency, investors in sovereign bonds predominantly care about the probability of default. They do not care so much about the loss given default. Why is this so? Mm -hmm. Because it's supposed to be a safe asset. If it's supposed to be a safe asset, you simply do not want to see default on this asset. Uh, you do not primarily buy it on the calculation, what will be the default? The question, is it safe? Will there be a default, yes or no? And the deep problem with this construction is if there's a single default on any of the 19 or 18 issuers, you'll have a default of a junior tranche, and the whole construction doesn't work anymore. And that is why I think uh, uh, I fail to see how it's supposed to operate as a safe asset of stable prices in times of crisis. And that goes to the root of the problem. Now to the final questions, why don't we just change regulation and then let's market decide? I'm very much in favor of having a market-driven approach to this. But I think we have to be 
fair and careful uh, when being asked to change regulation. Uh, it's not so that this idea was not in the world in the final stages of agreeing on the SDS regulation. That idea was in the world at that point in time. So regulations at least had an idea that this may be up somewhere. And it is different. Uh, it's not a normal plain vanilla bond. It is a securitization. So I think differences in regulation do merit. Um, uh, and I would very much caution of saying, well, we will solve this now by just saying, let's treat SBBS securitizations like AAA bonds and regulation and see how it works. I think one has to recognize it is a securitization uh, and it is, as we have discussed, due to the high correlation of underlying risks, of the underlying assets and due to the large exposure limits and the low granularity which you have in the pool, it is more what has features which may make it more risky than normal securitization. So I think differences in regulation continue to be warranted. I'm not in a position to say now what exactly, but I would caution that the approach will just, you know, set it as triple A sovereign bond and then let the market decide is the right approach. I think we have to be aware of the different features and cater for them accordingly in regulation. Uh, thank you, uh, Levin. Um, I think your point on uh, that sovereign investors into sovereign debt um, care more about the probability of, for, of default than, than about loss given default. I mean, I don't know if it's true, but if it were true, uh, then I certainly note that um, all ideas that are floated around sort of soft debt restructuring mechanisms um, uh, are also quite problematic. I mean, uh, because uh, Basically, all those that care about, um, uh, you know, loss given default, uh, uh, probability of default, uh, will immediately be affected by even the, the, the softest way of debt restructuring, such as automatic uh, debt uh, maturity extension and the like. So, so uh, I think you bring up an important issue, but um, but I, I think we still have fundamental problem, right, in the, in the Eurozone uh, uh, sovereign debt market, and certainly um, uh, in the banks, uh, even if we have the sovereign concentration charges that my uh, colleague Nicola um, has proposed, uh, even if we have then and there, I very much uh, uh, share some, some, some point, even if we have that, um, there will still be risk on the balance sheets of banks, and that will actually uh, could actually be, be quite problematic for uh, for financial stability, depending on how much how much debt they actually just hold. one sentence yeah. on yeah. that. I, and I then think, I let Sam yeah. have the yeah. last word, and then we... The purpose of that is not to say banks should not hold sovereign debt. Right. That's not the issue. The issue is that there's a high concentration to a domestic sovereign, mm -hmm. and this risk you can approach through diversification. Right. Okay, some, uh, I, have to, I have to say you have done an impressive job, and an, uh, I assume, first of all, we should also really congratulate um, you and the ESRB for a fantastic and huge report and for a lot of work and you know, also for standing in the debate. You have had tough discussions here, so please uh, have a, a few last, uh, last observations, remarks, and then we will close. Please. Thank you very much, uh, Guntram, for those uh, kind, kind remarks. Uh, a couple of points. Um, first in defense of my two analogies, and then I'll, I'll, I'll draw a more general conclusion. Uh, fourth, first point is that senior SBBS uh, do have uh, the economic equivalent of paid-in capital, and that is the loss absorbency that comes from the uh, subordinated uh, securities. 
Second point on the PSPP, it is true that there is uh, a lending facility, but take-up is relatively small of that lending facility owing to conditions attached uh, to it, uh, about uh, 3% uh, to be uh, precise of the overall PSPP uh, stock. So again, the question is quantitative importance uh, of these uh, points. Um, it was mentioned that there have been uh, some uh, episodes of uh, collateral scarcity, particularly of low-risk securities uh, in repo markets. Uh, that is indeed noted. That is indeed uh, a concern. And indeed, insofar as senior SBBS are substitutes for these low-risk securities that are in, that are in demand uh, in repo markets, then this collateral scarcity uh, might be uh, alleviated. Um, the opinions of market participants uh, were referred to in, in some uh, remarks. Um, I would encourage uh, colleagues to, to read the report. Uh, in volume two, we have an entire section devoted to the views of uh, market participants. We conducted, among other things, a survey uh, of uh, market participants, which is the most scientific way I know to collect uh, opinion. In that survey, most uh, participants reported that they expect uh, senior SPBS to receive a rating of uh, AAA. Now, of course, opinions on that uh, will differ. Uh, but if I may, I think it's not factual uh, to say that all market participants uh, have uh, an inherent uh, skepticism. A final point on, on regulation. We repeat ad nauseum in the report that the, these securities should be treated in accordance with their uh, risk properties. Uh, so we are fully on board with the prudential principle that uh, regulation should reflect uh, risk. Uh, and that, uh, that is indeed the basis for the uh, initiative uh, of a possible SBBS-specific enabling regulation. Great. Uh, so please uh, join me in thanking all of our three panelists, and especially Sam for stepping in at very last minute for, for Governor Lane uh, and also for the others. Thank you.